0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Good morning, folks. I'm just going to come right out and state the obvious. It is damn cold out there. And I want to thank Tommy Tucker doing a great job checking in with a number of folks throughout the metropolitan area. We'll keep you abreast if there's any changes to the information and advice that has been provided thus far relative to road closures and the like. But I would remind you of one thing, and a lot of people forget about this when we have weather like this. It may be that you want to jump in your car, take your kid or go to the grocery or whatever and you just throw a little jacket on, just enough to break the wind. But what happens if your car breaks down? What happens if you get in an accident? You need to be better prepared. You need to dress accordingly to make sure that you're not putting yourself at risk when you're out there and you're not able to handle business because you did not appropriately dress. So just take a couple of more minutes and prepare accordingly, please. Uh, It'll make all the difference in the world uh, for you. And be careful out there. Got a great show lined up for you today. We'll visit with Joe Geruso, New Orleans District A Council President, uh, Council, excuse me, about ARPA and capital fund spending. Uh, Mark Morgan joins us at 1130 about an update at the southern border it's our NOLA Coalition Day. We'll visit with CEO and founder of Hope Help Other People Endure, Michael Willis. We'll check in with uh, Craig Jacobin from uh, Craig's Electrical and Generator Service. A lot of talk about a lot of other preparations, but what about if you have a generator? Is there anything that you need to be aware of? We'll talk to Craig for a few moments about that. And joining us right now is Billy Nungesser, Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Louisiana. Billy, welcome to the show.
2: Good to be with you, Newell, Orleans. It's chilly morning.
1: So, Billy, I know you're on the North Shore. Um, what type of conditions are you seeing over there?
2: Well, I'm actually up in Baton Rouge. We, uh, we had the opening of the special oh, yeah. session yesterday. And uh, I'm up here preparing for what was going to be a presentation to the CPRA tomorrow on the diversion. That meeting has just been canceled. I got word and pushed back to February 21st uh, because they uh, expect conditions not to improve much for tomorrow.
1: Are you hearing whether or not they're going to cancel any other presentations or committee meetings as a result of the weather during this special session?
2: I have not. I know the uh, the the uh, yesterday on the at the announcement, I was sitting next to the Secretary of State who uh, had just gotten the bill on the closed primary and uh, was uh, it was going to be heard today in committee and uh, not giving many people a chance to come to that committee meeting to to speak one way or the other on it so uh you know today it's moving forward all the legislators are up here uh several of them i saw walking over to the capitol this morning
1: So um, you were anticipating that there would be a meeting on Wednesday uh, of the CPRA relative to the mid-barataria sediment diversion. There's been a number of lawsuits that have been filed within, I think, the last seven to ten days. Uh, What's going on, and, and what do you see happening?
2: Well, our hope is, Noel, that finally, with a new governor, a new head of CPRA, And a lot of people that have been involved in this thing from the beginning that not want to admit, maybe this is not what we ought to be doing with $3 billion, that putting all the facts out there um, that we can change the tide and, and, and stop this thing and use that money to build up our coastline in our lifetime. This idea that Louisiana needs a 50 year coastal plan, we don't have 50 years. And this, this project started out as a $250 million uh, connect the river back with the marshlands. It's now over $3 billion. And they keep cutting back what land this thing is expected to build. And the land it builds is below the waterline, So it won't lower storms one inch to the coast. If we use dredges and build ridges and islands out there with height and plant trees and ridges we could not only lower storm surge, new storm surge models would show it improves your, your, the sustainability along the coast. It would lower your insurance rates. And we could do that with dredges in our lifetime. So not to mention the harm it's going to do to our seafood industry.
1: So uh, have there been conversations with the governor, as, uh, Governor Jeff Landry, as to where he stands on this issue? Because I really haven't heard him opine a position one way or the other. I had given information to his
2: chief of staff, uh, and was told they are looking at it. Um, I think uh, as soon as the new head of CPRA is put in place, and I was hoping for this meeting, uh, we've got testimony from several people, including Dr. Salangi, who runs the uh, facility in Gulfport, is an expert in marine mammals, uh, and, and he is the one that had brought to my attention. That the marine mammal institute out of washington dc uh, did a study on this uh, by saint andrew institute that shows if we build this diversion uh we will dolphins will be extinct within 50 years it will kill 50 percent of the dolphins within the first five years and the dolphin is at the top of the food chain the canary in the coal mine when it dies everything below it will die and uh you think about it last year we had the largest dead zone in the gulf ever And offshore, that tidal movement is 15 feet, mixes up that water every day. We're going to dump that same polluted water into Barataria Basin where tidal movement is less than two feet, and we don't think it's going to kill everything?
1: What are the projections? I mean, I've heard different folks opining that uh, the Barataria Basin could be destroyed within a certain period of time, and and actually this carrying uh, and moving even further west than the Barataria Basin. Are you hearing that?
2: Yeah, there's a new study being done by Mississippi State, uh, and I got the map of what the projections, they don't have all the figures, it's not completed yet, but it does show within five years, and this is not even, uh, they have not even released a full study, but the map is disturbing because it shows within five years, uh, that water, the river currents will pull that polluted water into the Terrebonne Basin and, and begin to destroy the seafood and fisheries in that basin as well. So essentially destroying pretty much of our seafood industry. And and it's that alarming because, you know, it's been challenging for the shri- shrimp and, and the seafood industry with the BP uh, uh, horizon accident and all the other challenges. This would be a death sentence to the seafood industry. And and you know, people say, well why are you involved in it? One, I'm over the seafood board, but can you imagine coming to New Orleans and not getting a shrimp poor boy or the or the shrimp being from Taiwan? But that's what we're looking at long term. Something that we're famous for is our great seafood. And to do anything to destroy it and not give us any flood protection to me is insane. And 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 these people there's a lot of people getting rich off this diversion and uh, you just follow the money, and you can see why this thing has been pushed down our throat for so long.
1: So the meeting has been moved back uh, to February, obviously. I guess you plan on attending and having this same material presented then?
2: Right. we got a little video presentation, and then we've got the documentation. You know, a lot of people, here's what I don't understand. If this is to save all that they have sold us on it, why have they not made the studies public um, that, that I've tried to put out in the public, like the study from St. Andrew Institute? when it, I got $17 million taken out of my tourism budget last year because there's a punishment for making some of this stuff public. And a lot of people don't know. At 11 o'clock on a Friday night, when Congress usually does stuff they don't want us to see because we're usually out to dinner, Uh, they got a waiver of the Marine Mammal Act. That's never been done before for a large project. Instead of doing the studies that you're supposed to do on a project like this, they're going to monitor five years. So they're going to spend $3 billion, monitor five years, and hope it doesn't do with what what we're saying and wiping out our seafood. Wouldn't you want to know the effects you're going to have on the seafood and fisheries before you build it? And when I when I mentioned that to the past CPR chairman uh, in in private, I said, "Why wouldn't you want to know the effects you're going to cause on the seafood industry?" He said, "If we did the study, we probably couldn't build it.
1: Well, well, maybe we shouldn't." Yeah, I mean, if you're making statements like that, that's a pretty good indication <laughs> it might not be as worthy as we otherwise think it is.
2: And you know know these people uh the uh, the, uh, the past governor and several of these politicians have said well i'm following the science well wake up they're following the science of the people that are making the money on this thing you know you've got people out of washington dc the marine mammal commission lady said why would louisiana do this if this was the only solution to saving the coast but 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 our plan of pumping and building land now in our lifetime where every year storm surge would go down instead of increase. And now there's some new studies out that show even with the diversion, the little bit of land it would build below the water line, it would be a net loss because of sea rise and sinkage. So even the three billion plus dollars they're gonna spend would have no positive gain of land Over that 50 years, the only way to save the coast is with dredges, and we ought to have dredges out there 24-7 building ridges and islands and and lower our storm surge every year, Uh, and that way you can see light at the end of the tunnel that our storm surge is getting better, not worse every year.
1: It just seems to me, and I've brought this up before, that with dredges you can be more nimble, more flexible. You can be more geographic specific at any given point in time. We never know what Mother Nature is going to deal us, the twists and the turns and the head fakes. Um, To move a dredge is uh, relatively simple as opposed to trying to build another diversion project. Um, you're looking at a five-year timeline, and, and now you say over $3 billion. Uh, you can do a lot of dredging for $3 billion. What is the big aversion to building more dredges and, and maybe have the state own these dredges?
2: Well, I'm all for I think uh, a long-term lease is a better option than the state. The state doesn't seem to seem like private industry could actually uh, do it better and cheaper, and and they're good at it than us trying to get the dredge business. But uh, the the idea, you're right, it's over a hundred miles. Uh, we could stone only five feet to a hundred mile over a hundred miles of Louisiana coast uh, with that money. Uh, we designed when I was parish president. We designed a berm, a thousand feet wide, eight feet slanting down to the to the waterline, and we went to Vicksburg and partnered with the Corps of Engineers. That berm was certified by the Corps to lower storms at five feet. And then we went to Washington, which was a little harder task. But after a year of back and forth, we finally got FEMA to recognize that certified berm as flood protection. Well, we were celebrating in placements, because we can't build the levees much higher because we'll take out all the people. By building that certified berm on the outside the marsh we would actually lower storm surge, and some of the levees and plaque that were 50-year protection would become 100-year protection by lowering the storm surge to those levees. If we took that same concept and mirrored across coastal Louisiana with certified berms, it figures into your flood protection. It lowers storm surge, and we could do it in our lifetime with dredges. But, you know, you, you, you bid a dredge out, you get a certain price, and you go to work. You can do a lot of consulting contracts for the – we already spent $300 million on this diversion, and we didn't stick a shovel in the ground. Oh, we did. They had to hurry up and do a groundbreaking before the next governor took uh, office to discourage them from canceling, so they, they did a ceremony, private groundbreaking. Public was not invited. First time I've ever seen a public money being spent, and they did a groundbreaking when only certain people were invited but they did go down to Plaquemines and stick a shovel in the ground. But $300 million already spent? Where would that money go? Did, did you get an invitation? No, I did not. And, <laughs> and none of the fishermen, none of the people, it's going to affect their livelihood. And, look, it, 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 people, it's not just the fishermen. The restaurant industry, look, CCA, uh, which is the fishing, big fishing organization, Ask any of them privately if they're for this. They're scared to death to speak out against it because they get money from Washington for Rigs to Reef, which Garrett Graves has been a big push at getting that money. It's a good project. And Garrett Graves has been in favor of this project from day one. And they are scared to death to speak out. But if these people and the restaurant owners and the restaurant association does not start speaking out now – is our one chance to do the right thing with this money and actually save the coast. I've said it all along. We got enough money from BP to really save this coast and and, and get ahead of this coastal erosion. God help us if we waste it. We'll never get this chance again. And we're wasting it by boatloads.
1: Yeah. Billy, we'll check back with you in February on on this. And uh, just a really quick, a quick update as to the aftermath and after action of the Rose Bowl Parade.
2: Man, incredible. I think this was our best year ever. Uh, the exposure. You know, Newell, a lot of people don't see. We have a satellite truck in the den, and we give interviews from 5 a.m. to 10 at night all over the country. And our, our uh, New Orleans and Company, Lafayette, all of the partners around the state, Lake uh, Shreveport, Bogia, uh, those representatives give interviews about all the great things going on all over Louisiana we talk about the Mardi Gras celebrations all over Louisiana, so it's not just the day of that parade. Uh, we do everything we can. Every every station in the country wants to cover the Rose Parade, but well, we give them that opportunity right in front of the Louisiana float. So that's why our return on investment is so much greater than any other than just the exposure that day on TV. We're giving interviews all week, every day, all over the country and uh, some great partners in the tourism industry all over the state to make that happen.
1: Absolutely, Um, and congratulations on winning another award as well. Billy Nungesser, Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Louisiana, thank you for joining us. We truly appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Newell. Have a great day.
1: Stay warm. You too, my friend. Be careful. We will be right back, 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and text line. Stay with us.
0: Call from mom. Answer it post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today
1: welcome back folks uh, this morning i was just uh kind of surfing the internet and i came across power outages in the state of louisiana as a result of uh, this freeze and tonight it's going to get much worse than last night and i said you know why don't we check in with uh craig from craig's electrical and generator service and see what he has to offer up relative to this challenge and craig joins us craig welcome to the show
3: Hey, Noel, how you doing? I'm uh, sitting right here with David uh, Wilbert, our service manager, our sales manager, and
1: some guys in the warehouse. So, Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. Craig, uh, let me start out this way. Um, We've heard about, you know, plumbers and what you need to do there and everything else and prepare for a freeze. Are there any preparations that you need to make relative to your uh, whole home generator or commercial generator?
3: Yes, sir. So, uh, this morning you know we, we just kind of we've actually monitored generators which you've mentioned before and um you know what we kind of recommend what we're recommending to homeowners now right now while they have a little break in the weather is just to go out there and manually start your generator make sure it starts up and it runs um also you know we have coolant you know you have liquid cool generators they actually have radiators i mm-hmm. mean like antifreeze that's in there and in, in those radiators yep. and uh so you know, just want to make sure the level is good. We actually got a customer right now that pulled up a. Uh, he has a spray foam company, and his coolant level is low in this generator. So I think that's one of the last things people think about in these uh, in these air, these liquid cool generators. It's coolant levels, you know.
1: But if all these people did like I do, and and have you do that for for me, I I, I don't have to. That's not something I worry about, right? <laughs>
3: That's correct. So, you know, we talked about remote monitoring, and uh, you know, this, actually, if we started seeing our first power outages. I, I think around seven thirty, eight o'clock last oh, night, this and then we've seen some at four o'clock this morning. So, the in and out power and uh monitoring these generation You know, you know, I mean, the amount of people that live in the New Orleans metro area. I mean, we're, we're probably monitoring like like a grain of sand, right? Like we just barely we're seeing just small areas and patches of, of power outages. But we're starting to see more and more this morning. Um, one thing that we had a customer uh, this morning that we talked with, um, her generator was actually sending a code as an overload. Um, David reached out to her and um, come to find out she has a third-floor heater that she normally doesn't run that was running. So he was able to get her to reset that heater, or go ahead and turn the heater off, re- and we reset the generator from the shop.
1: And uh, she's back up and running right now, So, which is good. So it was something that uh, probably wasn't initially planned for, but when you have remote remote monitoring like you guys have, you pick up on these things and you're able to resolve it relatively quickly, right?
3: That is correct, yeah. I mean, we can troubleshoot from from our house at, at 3 in the morning, you know, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, 6. I mean, we get uh, alerts every morning, emails um, of all our customers with the status of the generator. So the remote monitoring is something that we, we started uh, installing, I think, roughly about two years ago and it has been tremendous help you know and it also avoids call-outs you know call-out fees to, to the homeowners you know so if we can um work it from the house I and mean, we, we don't charge uh, call-out fees or anything like that you know for troubleshooting
1: craig tonight's going to be a little bit of a different challenge uh the weather um is going to stay below freezing part of today we've already experienced it this morning get just uh near above freezing for just a short period of time and then begin to drop again late afternoon uh, obviously i got to imagine that you guys anticipate more power outages
3: oh without a doubt you know i mean that's that's what we uh that's what we're here for i mean we're monitoring uh we have our team together we offer 24 7 uh call out services you know conditions are safe um but regardless i mean we have answering service um we see calls that come in so i mean we've we're in 24 hours over here.
1: So. so top advice right now is if you have a uh, water-cooled generator, uh, which means you have a, a radiator, just like in an automobile, that you need to check your coolant level uh, t- so that it doesn't freeze up, right? Because then the unit seizes and it's not going to work.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, there's a safety feature on there for coolant level of the sensor. And if it gets right below that sensor, I mean, it, it won't. It'll run for about five seconds and turn off. You know, and then you'll get an alarm that should tell you to call a service dealer or, you know, if it's an older generator, uh, it's most likely that's going to be the cause. You know.
1: So, but, um, so those I, folks I guess, that that don't have your service, they need to go check that that today if they have a a, a water cooled, and if you have an air cooled. Um, which was like the first generation of generators that came out. Most people have, I think, air-cooled generators. Not a concern, correct?
3: No, not really. I mean, the biggest thing with the air cools that we try to, you know, we tell homeowners to go out there and just go, you know, periodically, you know, just go start it up. I mean, you know, know, I'm not really – I don't think we get cold enough to where gas lines can freeze, you know, uh, natural gas lines like in Texas did, I think, a couple years ago um mm-hmm. but I, I would just recommend maybe every you know 4 hours or something like that go out there and just manually start your generator up you know let it run for a few minutes and turn it off it'll definitely warm up keep everything um you know hot and then uh i, I think about every 4 hours should be good you know till we get past this hard freeze you know
1: right and uh those that have uh that remotely start and exercise their generators uh every week um Battery maintenance is not really an issue, even if you have one or two days of cold weather, right? Because you're actively um, working on that battery and recharging that battery with with the exercise option that you have on these generators.
3: Yeah, that is correct. And and with the remote monitoring, we actually can see the battery voltage. So if it dips below, um, you know, and look, you know, people think 12 volts a battery is charged up. And it's really, no, it's 12.6 volts. And your battery is almost 50%. So, the biggest thing that we're looking for is during the winter's cold cranking amps. You know, if you look on a battery on these, on your typical air cool generators, I think it's 540 cold cranking amps, CCA. Uh, whenever we test these, we have special uh, testers that we, we load test these batteries throughout the year during our service. And that's what we're looking for. We can tell with a percentage of a battery left, um, but that's one of the most crucial parts of, of, you know, being in the cold weather is your cold cranking amps on these batteries. Cause again, you can be reading, 13 volts 12.6 12.8 volts as you cold cranking amps are low within well, that battery is is not going to be enough
1: power enough to start that generator up or
3: any type of equipment
1: yeah and trust me you don't want to be dealing with any of that when it's um uh, a wind chill of 16 or 17 degrees outside no, it's, for sure
3: <laughs> it's, and this morning i thought i got to make a phone call to our buddy uh, danny griffin with pipes for us because uh yeah, <laughs> uh, we we put a new filtration system on the house, water filtration system. And there was uh-huh. a couple the elbows that from the filtration company that we we had them from um that weren't covered. So I was out there this morning with the hair dryer trying to get it get in finally <laughs> uh, everything was unfrozen like but yeah, it got me this morning. So I was out there. So that was one of the first priorities this morning was to make sure that I uh, miss Sherry Jackman had, had uh Warm water going through the house before I went to work. Miss <laughs> Sherry was
1: ruling the roost this morning, I mean. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so and then, uh, but, so but, now, now we on generator repairs and generator watch. The, so. the, the moral, the moral to the story is, you had power. <laughs> yeah, we had power. We just didn't have water. So. <laughs> and, and look, Newell, well, I Craig, have to think- look and. and I, out of the generators i have you know i have an air cool generator for my house you know so i mean i don't have yeah. the fancy liquid cools and, and the air cools just works just as fine you know so i'm in the same situation um and look i have an air cool due to the amount of space i have on my house so i can't fit a liquid cool where i'm at so um, right yeah so i'm in the same same position as everybody else with air cools you know we check them start them up and, and like i said the good thing is is with the remote monitoring the homeowners can be at work right now and they can actually exercise their generator from the phone. So, you know, and, and that's the cool thing about remote monitoring. They can be in the house and say, hey, you know, Craig said every four hours I can start my generator. I can remotely start it from their cell phone without even having to go outside. Yeah. That's the cool part of it.
1: So. I got a text here. It says, does Generac have a sustained trickle charge to the battery during standby? Yes, they do. They do have it. It's built in the controller. Yeah, I thought I thought so. Um yeah. And that, that's, that's a great uh, selling feature as well. Well, Craig, thank you so much. Uh, State of course, appreciate uh, all that you do for our community. Uh, you're a great corporate partner to uh, so, so many uh, charitable organizations. Uh, you and Sherry both and all of your workers do a great job each and every day, and we thank you.
3: Thank you, and I want to thank all our customers and your listeners for uh, giving us the opportunity, as well as WWL and yourself, um, for, for being such a great partner um, with us.
1: Uh, my, it is my pleasure, my friend Craig Jackamine, Craig's Electrical and Generator Service. We will be right back, folks. Stay with us.
0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome back, folks. Sun's out. Wind's blowing unmercifully. Wind chill is cold. But there are some uh, roads that are opening up. Causeway northbound is open. Right lane only at 35 miles per hour. Southbound causeway still closed. They hope to have it open in the next hour. So we're making progress on the causeway. I know a lot of people need to get back and forth from the North Shore to the South Shore A lot of folks are saying just stay at home. You're going to love this for irony, right? We are talking about, uh, you know, alternative energy, saving the planet, the whole nine yards. Well, in Chicago, the Tesla charging stations uh, are not charging. You have folks that are pulling in, trying to get their cars charged, and it turns out because of the frigid temperatures there, they're not working. You have people showing up at the airport coming in, they have their electric vehicles in the garage, they can't get them started. They're actually getting flatbed trucks to go into the garage, get their EV cars, take them to a charging station, and guess what? They don't charge. Have one guy, Tyler Beard, says nothing, no juice, still on 0%, been trying to recharge his Tesla at the Oak Brook Illinois supercharging station since Sunday afternoon and this is like three hours being out here and being out here three hours yesterday a total of six hours and his car is not charged folks are saying this is crazy it's a disaster seriously we got a bunch of dead robots out here one man said well Mark Billick of the Chicago Auto Trade Association made the following observation. He's an expert, and he said that cold weather can impact the ability of electric vehicles to charge properly. In fact, he says, unfortunately, it's just not a plug and go. You have to precondition the battery. Hold on to your seats here. Meaning that if you have to get the battery up to the, you have to get the battery up to the optimal temperature to accept a fast charge. So picture this, if you will, you're outside, you're in cold weather, battery rack is located underneath the car, almost the full length of the car from the front wheels to the back wheels from door to door going side to side. That battery rack needs to get to the optimal temperature to accept a fast charge. You're sitting in a parking lot that's covered in snow covered in ice the battery rack on these vehicles is literally five to six inches off the ground if that high you have to wait till that gets to an optimal temperature to accept a fast charge the only way this works is to go indoors and guess where they don't have these fast charging stations yep you guessed it in doors it's interesting you can't make these stories up i mean really in fact we talked about Hertz uh, can't you know selling twenty thousand of their evs they came they were one of the first companies to come out and say they were going to buy a hundred thousand evs and uh, now they've reversed course uh, nobody wants to rent them uh, they got a problem they're losing money hand over fist they're trying to recoup some of the dollars by selling some of their vehicles. Tesla's, for example, is as little as $20,000, $18,000. These are new cars uh, for the most part with low mileage because no one wants to rent them. Well this is why. The uncertainty and the challenges of all of this. Plus you have all the other challenges if it's snowing, it's raining, freezing rain. You have frozen windshields, doors that are uh, frozen shut and everything else and now you have to get under your car with what I don't know how you do this you have a heater you got you got to get some kind of gas heater uh, and light it up and blow it under your car to get the battery rack to the optimal temperature in order to be able to receive a fast charge I mean this this is crazy this is really it it's dangerous is what it is and we're really not being honest with people about the challenges here, and they're making significant investments, they're thinking that they're doing the right thing for the for the world, for the environment, for the climate, and everything else and The only thing that that's really happening for them is that they're being inconvenienced in so many different ways it's absolutely ridiculous, and we really ought to be ashamed of ourselves this is careless the way that we've gone about doing this and it's going to be interesting to see I keep saying this how this uh, ends up for everyone Uh, because the infrastructure is not there it's not in place the technology is not caught up obviously the quick charging stations are not designed to be able to to perform in frigid temperatures something unique to Chicago right something unique to Minneapolis something unique uh, to the northern part of this country. Uh, so how many days are you out? How many days can you not charge your vehicle? Got a text here already. You're making a mountain amount of a molehill on this topic. Tesla is the, is the only uh, electric car anyone should buy, really? Well, how many days do you want to be out in cold weather? If they're saying that the battery rack needs to be at the optimal temperature in order to get a fast charge. I mean, these, these are the things that, that are, are just absolutely crazy. All right, look, if you if you want it, go get it. You got it, Toyota. You can have it. It says, defrost mode melts all the ice and snow. It defrosts your windows as well. You do this while you're getting dressed for work. Easy. Yeah, I, I said it was a challenge. I didn't say it was an impediment, you know, uh, that you would never be able to resolve it. Those are the challenges that we have already. So you have those and additional challenges when you decide to go to EV. All right, we'll be right back after the break. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. This is Newell on WWL. On the Text Line, it says, uh, no doubt over the next 10 years, there will be significant improvement and advancement in uh, EV technology. I, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, The problem is, is that we've imposed these ridiculous deadlines of uh, getting rid of uh, combustion engines uh, way in advance of where the technology stands right now. I, I completely wholeheartedly agree with you. And I just think it's careless to convince people to go out and buy a technology that that's not yet reached a maturation rate that that uh, it's going to work for everyone. There's little or no infrastructure. We're, we're giving subsidies uh, for, pur- for the purpose of um, moving these vehicles. Without the subsidies, the vehicles don't get sold because there's still a whole bunch of problems. And now you have all the automakers at risk financially and otherwise because they've invested wholeheartedly because of the subsidies into this EV world, and they're now paying the price. I can't wait till we have another situation that we have to bail out one of these companies. I'll be adamantly opposed to it. And I don't think we ought to be bailing any of them out. And that, that, there it is. That That's the complete circle of where, where we, we are going to be. But I agree in 10 years from now, it's probably going to be incredible technology.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,